0: Speaking of DNA, has anybody seen these, ans- which that's quite the segue, speaking of DNA, um, have you seen these Ancestry DNA commercials, right, where the ladies like, I've thought I was Italian all these years, and I am, but I'm also like one quarter Native American, and it's blown my mind, and it's so great, and so these commercials have really worked on me, I don't know if marketing always works on us, but like these have really worked on me, and I'm like dying to know, um, is there something beyond like the Scottish, you know, English, background that's there, you know, I don't think there's, like, any untapped scholarship potential there. I'm just interested, you know, if there's something, you know, in our our ancestry that I'm missing out on or or we haven't traced. It's just an interesting thing. I think the whole family dynamic is a little bit wild and interesting if you think about it. Like, why was Kyle born to Mike and Peggy in Tampa? And not, why was I not born, like, Ahmed in you know, Istanbul, like, why, why, it just almost seems a little bit random, kind of at first, it's just like, why me here, why this, in this family dynamic, and if we really begin to look at all of our family history, I think at some point we would run into something that's a little bit messy. We've all seen that in play out in our lives, maybe recently, maybe a little further back, And I want to talk to us today, last week we started a series called Life on Purpose, and I want to talk about kind of life on purpose in terms of family. And I don't just want to go into maybe family right now, but but maybe family where it's come from, maybe things we've been through with our family. And I pray that God's going to maybe bring some healing to some things, maybe some direction. And I hope to give you just three simple steps. And these steps are not like just simple steps and like, let me do them and then next week everything will be perfect. These are going to be steps that I think are daily steps. I think these are regular things that I'm, I'm thinking through and I'm processing and I'm attempting to live out. And so we're going to uh, trace this all the way through. And I, if you look at even Jesus' family, like Jesus' family was probably a little more messy than what you would think about. I mean, think about it. I mean, one time he, he lost, like, uh, he got lost from his parents. Did you guys know that? Anybody ever been lost? I remember one time when I was in, like, Walmart. Everybody gets lost in Walmart. I don't know why. But I got lost in Walmart, and I flipped out. I was so afraid as a young child. Well, that happened to Jesus. His parents lost him one time. First home alone. That's where they got the idea, I'm sure. Um, no, he was actually in the temple preaching when they found him. Um, Not only that, but I'm sure like the town gossip came to Mary sometime, and was like, "Did you hear what Jesus did today? (laughs) I heard he's over there making weapons and acting like a crazy person and turning tables over." Now, Mary, what are you gonna do about that? You know, I'm sure there was a town gossip that went in there, and and life was probably a little bit messy because Jesus wasn't always received. I mean, he went, was crucified for his life, and many times we can kind of paint this very pretty picture of. Some things in the Bible, but in reality, if we look through the history of the family of God and these stories, family was messy. And there's a couple of places I want to point us to in the scriptures and to highlight these couple of steps that I think are regular steps we should be taking uh, if we want a gospel-centered, a grace-filled future family. And I, I think if you were to read the Gospel of Matthew, sometimes when people talk, about, hey, where should I start reading? They're so, like, just start in the New Testament, start with the Gospels, and just go from there. And honestly, that's a, that's a bad, that's a really bad idea, because they start in Matthew chapter 1, and you know what Matthew chapter 1 is? It's a genealogy. It's a one chapter of reading. This person was born to this. Like, if that was trying to get published in the 21st century, it would not be published, because they wouldn't make it past the first chapter. And so he, Matthew traces the genealogy for a couple of reasons. One, to establish the credibility of Jesus, but also as the fulfillment of prophecy. And so he traces it from Jesus' life all the way back to Abraham. And I believe uh, Luke actually does a genealogy, too, uh, a couple of chapters in. And he does it a little more thorough because Luke is a physician, and so he's being super thorough. And I think he was reading, I I actually believe that Luke was written after Matthew, I think he was reading Matthew and said, dude, why'd you stop at Abraham? Let's go and take it on back to Adam. And so he writes in his genealogy all the way back to Adam. And so let's go there real quick. Let's go to the garden in Genesis 1 and 2, and everything's really good, right? There's the sea and the sky, and it's good. And God is making, you know, uh, the moon and the stars, and it's good. And he makes land and water, and it's good. He makes the baby llama, and he makes, makes the baby elephant, and it's all good. And he makes a naked dude and a naked lady, and it's, it's all good, you know, at that time. And then if we were reading in our Bible, and we flipped from chapter 2 to chapter 4, we would first immediately realize, whoa, that, that escalated quickly. Because chapter 3 is the fall, fall of man. It's the fall of man. We see sin enter the picture. We see pride enter the picture and disobedience to the, 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 um, the guidelines that God had set for his relationship with mankind. And I want to pick up at, at chapter 4 right here. Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, um, fat portions uh, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, see the firstborn, um, or he brought the the first fruits and Abel uh, was looked on with favor, but Cain and and his offering did not look, um, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast and God talks to him. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed them. It did not take long into the course of history with family for it to get messy really fast. And we have to notice what changed between everything being good and brother killing brother. Like the first brother's murder. Like that's kind of a rough start to this thing. (laughs) Sin injured the picture. First thing I want to share with you, just when it comes to this whole like steps it, it, uh, for a, a gospel-centered future, and I, I believe it's we gotta we gotta look at the root, we gotta evaluate the root, we've gotta address the root issues. I think so many times in our family, we we treat the symptoms, we treat the symptoms. We planted a, a, a little bit of a garden around the front of our uh, house recently. And I think it was back in November. And already the roots are starting, to, like the weeds are starting to kind of pop up. And now I could go in there and I could hit it with some killer. Like I could just kill it. I don't know what you call that stuff. Pesticide. Not pesticide. What do you call this stuff? I'd do bleach or something. I don't know. I'd kill it really quickly. <laughs> and it may get down to the roots. But oftentimes, what do, we, what do we do with weeds? We'll just kind of snag it up. And if we don't get the root, we don't get the root. Or what we'll, sometimes if it's really overgrown, we'll just take some hedge clippers. Or if it's super bad, we'll take like a chainsaw. And but you, you, don't, you don't fix weeds. You don't uproot them with a chainsaw. And you don't uproot them uh, with hedge uh, trimmers either. You, you do it with your hands. It takes hard work to do this. And if we look back into the text, you don't have to go there, but see what's happened. There's Cain and Abel. And Cain offers some offerings and Abel offers the first fruits, and he begins to despise his brother. He's there's, he's jealous of his brother. And so this, he had an option to do that. This is like really the first evidence we see of a, a first fruit, a tithe, if you will, that later will, will be commanded. It, it's that, and we see God showing favor to the one who brought it, and he begins to be jealous and even angry to the point that he killed him. Like, it that escalated very quickly and even Adam like i'm sure after the fact they're like okay new rule brothers don't get to go out to the woods with each other anymore we don't trust you out there you just we could just draw a line around that and let's put a let's put a law in place right that's what i do with my boys sometimes like all right no more playing in the bedroom for the rest of the day we try to treat all these symptoms and control it but at the root of everything is sin is disobedience and pride before God. And so I'm challenging you today is to uproot the sin. Don't, don't kind of just rip the top off of it. And I think maybe for a second we have to kind of slow down and get on our knees. Really get our hands dirty With some things that have been festering, and and I know across this room we have a a very wide kind of demographic of, you know, those of you that have come from a very well-groomed garden, like Adam and Eve, and maybe you've made some choices along the way to allow sin to have its way. Others of you in this room, you're looking at a garden that has not been tended in generation after generation. And here you are standing as a first-generation believer or a first-generation committed believer, and you're, you're looking at a garden that's a little bit overwhelming. And the, the only thing I can tell you is that it will be worth it. Like every, every fight that you fight will be worth it for the generations to come Every root issue of laziness or addiction or selfishness that's been running in your family, like every one that you get down on your knees and physically, with your, hand, it will be worth it for the generation to come. I, I, tell, I love the moment when I'm in a pre-marriage counseling situation and I get to tell the couple, hey, good news. Because m- most every couple, it doesn't matter how good their parents have been, There's something that they hope to improve on in the next generation. There's something, if it's dad's anger problem, if it's dad being too busy at work, if it's if it's you know mom's drinking problem or what they hope in the next. There's something that they hope to improve upon in the next generation. And I love this moment where I get to say, "Look, this is not mom and dad's marriage. This is not this is not your grandma's marriage. This is this is you guys." Okay? And so we have an opportunity to surrender that and humble that and submit that to the Lord. And the truth of the matter is that those weeds are going to keep growing in. And if we try to do that in our own power, it's just ripping the top off. It, it's just treating the symptoms. But if we do that in the, the power of God and we do that through what Jesus has done, if we let the Holy Spirit direct us into those root causes that have maybe even been passed down, then I truly believe that it makes a a difference for generations to come. And and I think this next text we're going to look at will actually highlight that even more. Because the truth of the matter is that you may be able to fool people during the winter when the weeds aren't growing, but when spring comes around, those weeds are starting to come, and it's going to become obvious. And that may be at the end of time where we stand before God, and that may just be in a very public sense where you lose your job Or a husband or a wife walks out on you. It it may be one of those things. Those weeds are gonna creep up. So I encourage you, do the hard work, get down and address the root. So ask yourself, what's that root that might need to be addressed? Pray through that. If we hit the fast forward button, you know, from the kind of first family, and let's fast forward all the way up to, you know, how like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's look at the grandson of Abraham, Jacob, and Jacob has. 12 sons, and one of those sons, his name is Joseph. Joseph, uh, or Jacob, decided he wanted to buy his kids a really nice gift. Or He actually just bought one. He bought him like a really nice, cool coat that everybody else was really jealous about. It was real psychedelic from what I hear. He had this really nice coat, and all the other brothers are jealous. I don't know. It's a little bit interesting to me that the same issue that was there of jealousy because favor showed on another. Here, generations later, same issue, jealousy over the father showing favor to the child. Very interesting to me. And so he gives this gift and the brothers are upset about it and like Cain and Abel, and like Cain did, that now we're dealing with 11 brothers and they're like, hey, this is getting on my nerves. We're jealous of him. We're bitter. We're, we're resenting the fact that he has this nice coat, and we just got these old normal ones. Let's, let's throw him in a pit and kill him. That's a good idea. And so they devised this plan, but Reuben, who I don't know if he was the humanitarian of the bunch or he just liked money, but he was like, no, let's not do that. Let's just sell him into slavery instead. We get some money, and I don't know how, what his thought process was, but Reuben says, no, let's do that. So they sell him, they sell their brother out into slavery, their youngest brother, usually like the young one is like the one we want to care for, but here, they're really jealous over him. who's sold into slavery, into Egypt. And I think we see this, this pattern of, of Joseph being extremely faithful, despite the opposition, despite the lot he's been handed. He's extremely faithful through it all. He finds himself Uh, serving and working for a guy named Potiphar who is like the captain of the guard. Like he keeps all the horses, king's horses and all the king's men. Potiphar is over them and, and Joseph is over all of Potiphar's stuff. Well, Potiphar's wife keeps coming after and trying to seduce Joseph. Like several times she comes after him. Every single time he pushes away and he just stays faithful to the Lord. But one time he got caught in the house when, when um, no one else was around, no other attendants were there, it was just Potiphar's wife and, and Joseph. And she attempts it again, and this time Joseph, he straight loses his, he runs, like resist the devil and flee, like flee from the devil and, and he'll flee from you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I finally got it right. He like ran out of the room, and he, he paid a price for letting his guard down just a little bit. Because it's not just about the evil, it's about the appearance of evil. And that's what Potiphar's wife leaned into. And she told her husband, like, hey, he tried to come on to me. That's not what happened, but that's what the appearance was. And that's what she said. You know, Joseph gets thrown in prison. And so he, he's still faithful. Even in prison, even in the dungeon, he's like telling people their dreams and using the gift of prophecy that God had given them, an understanding of dreams. And he, he's helping people out. He helps uh, Pharaoh out. He's staying faithful, and he ends up getting out of prison, being nice to the prison guard, works his way back up. And now, at this time, and we're going to pick it up in, in Genesis chapter uh, 45, Joseph is over all of the rations, basically, of grain. Because for two years, everyone has been in a famine, like a, a for-real famine. And like now, that's, doesn't, it's hard for us to process what that would look like. We were in Guatemala last summer, and it rains for six months there, and it doesn't rain for six months. And we were there about a month and a half or two months into their rainy season, and it still had not rained. And as we are driving in the van to get to this uh, small town where we got to be a part of watching these people get water to their community for the first time from a well, the first time ever in the history of this community. That was mind blowing. It was awesome but there was dr- this, this deep hunger and this like, what do we need to talk to about? What do we need to encourage them? You need to pray for rain because <laughs> like, that's our literal need because it, it, it could famine could be there. So for two years that had happened. Even Canaan, like the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, dried up. That's where Jacob and his sons live is in Canaan. The people are hungry. There is real issues going on and Joseph now throwing the pit, now kind of sits in the place of power. And Jacob sends his son, all uh, 10 of them actually, he leaves one of them behind just in case something happens. He wants one of them with him. He sends him ahead a couple times and I won't go into the whole story. I'm taking too long as it is. But um, he, he, he sends him a couple times to Joseph to ask and buy grain. And Joseph like does it. He does not re- reveal his identity. A couple times they come. He does not reveal his identity. He sells the grain. But each time you just get these hints of resentment and bitterness that's, that's coming out in super weird ways, like he's trying to set them up and just make them look bad. You know, sometimes when we're just hurting, stuff just comes out. Like, we're doing our best, we're fighting through, we're trying to be faithful, but sometimes it just, it just gets out. The resentment we have against our mom, right? The bitterness we have against our spouse. Like, it, it just it just leaks out somehow. And that's what started to happen but finally, one last time, they, they come to Joseph, and he's like, all right, time to get real. That God wants to do something in this. God has raised him up to this place where he's kind of got all the power here. And we find where he reveals himself. He's been speaking another language that they didn't understand. They've been using an interpreter, but now he's, he's saying to them, For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. You hear what he said there? I think Do I have verse 8, eight up on there? Because I think it says it again. No, I don't. Hear what he says there? You didn't do this to me. God sent me here. And I think in this giant cosmos like of why am I here and why did I show up and why am I born to the family I am and the location I am and that thing that we can't really comprehend, what we just did with families a moment ago when we recognize the sovereignty of God is what each one of us have to do. And if we don't do it in this life, when this life is over, we will have to recognize the sovereignty of God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. So we can just make our choice, humility or humiliation. And, and, and so we find ourselves humbled in this place. And the simple step that I want to give you, I'm, I know, super long time to get to that, but I'm telling the story, is to extend grace and forgiveness. Look at what verse 14 says. Now, uh, then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin. He's the next youngest. And Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them after his brothers talked with him. Skip over a couple of chapters, and we find Pharaoh hearing the news and his response here. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. They get what they don't deserve. And in this room, just for a moment, I just want you to stop and reflect of what Jesus has done for us, and we get what we don't deserve. And our opportunity on a, I believe, a daily basis, this isn't just long-held bitterness, resentment about something happened when we were a kid or something like that. This is about daily stuff too, to extend and offer forgiveness and grace. And Joseph is an incredible example of that. Like, Jesus is the best one, and this one is probably not too far after that. Of just, a dude do that. He was totally human, like, went through it and was betrayed and, like, had every reason. And most of us, if it was a movie, we'd be rooting for him to just rub it in the face. But what's even sweeter is seeing brothers weep. Arms. And healing happening. I don't want to go too far, too deep into this, but... Yesterday, I was, <clears throat> I, was, um, I was at a funeral for a young man who overdosed, 22 years old. Um, family, used to attend here. And I was just heartbroken. Because at that age, my brother was fighting through some similar things. And I, just, I sat there and I just wept in the funeral. I just wept. Because when, when, when that all, many, much of that was going on, I harbored so much hurt in my heart. For what was going on and the pain that had been caused in my family. And I just wept. And God has healed that so much, and He's healed that relationship that I was just able to text my brother and be like, I love you, I'm proud of you, man. Like I'm really proud of him. He's doing doing awesome. But there's there's some of those things we we harbor, and I just came home and, and told my wife about that. And it's been a part of that healing process. Because like years ago, I wouldn't have even said I broke down and cried. Because there was no forgiveness there. There was no grace offered there. There was no healing there, but my ability to be able to communicate and talk about it really was a part of that healing process, was a part of that extension of forgiveness and grace that every single one of us need from God. It's not, it's not just something we want. We need grace. Like There is no salvation except by grace, faith and Grace nothing. So if you plan to do this on your good works for the rest of your life, like you, you could want that, but I'm telling you, that's not what you need. That, that, it's not, eternal life is in Christ and through Him. And so I just want to ask you the question, maybe there's something that's going on right now. Maybe it's something a long time ago, a year ago, five years, 25 years ago, I don't know. Maybe th- there's something, maybe there's someone where grace and forgiveness needs to be offered. And don't think it's a one-time thing. I think it's an everyday thing. Like, we're we're in, like, the, I don't know what to call it. The, It's rough, though, when you got three kids and uh, a new baby, and they don't sleep. And every morning I ask her, how was your night? You know, because I sleep like a bear, like a good husband. Um, <laughs> she, I won't wake up through anything. And so unless she hits me with something, then I don't know. So she never wakes me up. Um, and I asked her, and, and you know, it was rough. Almost every night, it was rough. And so throughout that day, like there, there may be some things that kind of get on my nerves, but grace, grace, grace. Same thing with me, like with her. Just throughout the day, I've been through many tough seasons, and if it's not for that grace and forgiveness that I received from her, just on a daily basis, I'm not as whole as I am today. And I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm past the start. And that's what I would challenge you. Don't get so focused on the end product, just focus on the daily. What's the next step? What's the next, what's, what's the one conversation? Because I'm just guessing in this room, if you were to have one or two conversations that you're a little bit nervous about, one or two conversations, it may get messy for a while, but like frankly, it's just messy sometimes. But you, you're gonna be a whole different place of freedom in a week or two from now. So I just want to challenge you. What, what's that person? What's that thing that you need to extend grace and forgiveness? Let that bitterness go because um, it'll start strangling out our faithfulness if we're not careful. So finally, <clears throat> and I'll begin to close here. We, we, let's fast forward all the way, New Testament and Jesus. We were talking a little bit about Jesus' family situation. Let me, let me give you another verse that just illustrates that, I think, really potently. Luke chapter eight, Jesus is doing a lot of teaching here and his mom and his brothers come to, 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 hear, to uh, hear him or to talk to him. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting, wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Whoa, <laughs> like I'm not Jesus' mama, nor will I ever be. But if my kid said something like that to me, I would be mad. I would be offended, possibly, that he wouldn't take time for me. I've heard ministers attempt to use this verse as a reason to neglect their family. And that's a bunch of bull. <laughs> it is. And while for a moment here, it can feel like Jesus is undermining the meaning of family. I'd like to argue that Jesus is not undermining the meaning of family. He's elevating the meaning of family. And his brothers who were not believing throughout the gospels, they tell us that they were not believers. They didn't believe in what Jesus did. That's tough, right? Own family won't believe in you. And so he's kind of making a shot. But this whole text, his whole, if you look at the context of Luke chapter 8, he is, he's teaching really uh, uh, about choices, right? Family is the one thing we don't get to choose. And he's teaching this parable about scattering of seed and like some falls on rocky soil and some falls around weeds and thorns and it strangles it up and there's all these meanings here. And Jesus is actually really blunt. He says, you want to know what it's about? This is what it's about. But the last point, kind of the big thing, is that good soil, the seed that gets scattered on good soil, is those that hear the Word of God and actually do something about it. Your soil is not determined by what the garden has looked like in generations past. Your soil is determined by your teachability and humility, and ability to respond in faithfulness and do what Jesus asks. That's that's Jesus's big point. There is don't just hear it, but actually set the example and 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 do it. That's when you're good, good soil. And so I think in some ways I think uh, Jesus's mom is just a little bit of. Um, just kind of gets gets a little bit of the brunt, uh, which I think was probably directed towards his brothers, but also his disciples. That the greatest thing that we can offer our families, the greatest thing that we can offer of ourselves, is to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. It doesn't matter how much I teach my kids if I'm not setting an example for my kids. Talk about undermining. I'll, un- I'll undermine everything about my leadership as a father, and everything I poured in the, if I'm not setting the example for it. I can teach him how to budget, but if he knows, like I'm up to my eyeballs in debt, you know, he may learn it other ways, but the greatest gift we can give is, is setting that example and being doers of the word of God. And so I, I just want to ask you across this room, What's striking you this morning? What's, what's God speaking to you about setting the example? I can tell my kids to read their Bible, but if they never see me reading mine, I can say I, I, want, I want my kids to grow up in a relationship with God, but if I never have like, regular conversations with them about that, I'm just kind of hoping for it. It's not actually something I'm working on. It's not something I'm doing with intentionality and purpose to lead them in that relationship. I can say I want a good marriage, but if I never slow down to take her out for a nice date, then it's just hoping, it's just wishing. So this whole life on purpose is about intentionality, and so I'm not saying these three steps are going to cure everything in the next three weeks, I'm saying these three steps are something that we should kind of constantly be asking and praying, and what's the root to this? What's the sin here that's lingering that needs to be uprooted in my life? What do I need to get on my knees and get dirty about? What's the, what's the situation here? I need to extend some grace and forgiveness because it has been richly given to me. And then what's, what's the time? What's the place? What, God, what is God speaking to me about not just being a hearer of the word but being a doer and setting that example? If we want gospel-centered faith-filled future for our family, then I I believe that we'll we'll grab onto these. And Jesus may not have been in your past, but he can very well be in your present and your future. So I want to ask you to stand. Some of you are here, um, and you're sitting with friends. Some of you are sitting alone. Uh, Some of you are sitting here with family. Uh, And I want to ask you to to do something. We're going to close in just a little bit of a different way. And I just want you to have a moment where you turn around to two or three, four or five people and just have a word of prayer right where you're at. And I just believe that God's going to just do some things in in this very moment to just pray. And maybe one person just wants to take the lead and you know, maybe a husband needs to lean over to a wife and say they're sorry about something. Maybe I don't know, maybe we just need to, to, to lay some things out there in this moment. I'm not saying we have to, but I'm, I'm just saying God wants to do something in this time, and I want us to set aside some time to pray as the body of Christ. And so will you do that right now? I'm going to lead us in prayer, and I'm just going to ask that you turn and pray right where you're at. God, I thank you for these people. I thank you for this time we have to share, to come to know you more and more. And I just pray across this room where there's... There's like so many families in this room, God, today, and I just pray that somehow, some way that you would just bring healing and deliverance and freedom to those things in our past, God, that maybe it's just been an untended garden, but you're calling us to, to establish a remnant, God, that our whole family future might go away with carts and might go away with food and everything they need, just like with Joseph's family because of their faithfulness. God, I pray that you'd raise up men and women of God who will live boldly for you, God, and will not avoid the tough conversations, will not avoid the messy parts of life, but will let your grace in to them. In Jesus' name we pray.